Good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Uh, today we are continuing on with our summer teaching series that's entitled um, Stories of God. And uh, as John started us off last week, uh, one of the things that we want you to know is that the goal of this series is not just to like throw biblical facts at you. Okay, It's not to just kind of cram your head with as much biblical information as possible, because I don't think that does a whole lot of good. Okay, so yes, we are going to be reading through the scriptures. We're starting uh, in Genesis, and over the course of this summer, we'll be reading through the Old Testament and reading uh, through the New Testament. But the idea is not just to like throw information at you. Rather than just seeing tons of information, what we're really hoping for in this series is that you start to see common themes, threads that run throughout the Bible that you can start looking at going, we've heard this before, we've heard this before, we've heard this before. We actually want to start seeing the threads that sort of hold these stories together because if you can start seeing them and articulating them better and better and better, it helps you to start seeing it and grasping it and claiming it in your own life. Because the themes that hold these stories together are the themes of how God is working right now in your life and in Austin, Texas here today. So it's these common themes that we're hoping that we pick up on and see in this passage. Now, with last week's reading uh, that we did over the last few days, uh, if you did it, you'll realize that we covered a lot of ground. And part of the ground we covered was the story of the Exodus, Okay? This is a seminal moment in the Old Testament where the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. They're being held there as captives. And then as they're there, they cry out to God and God hears their cry and sends them a deliverer, sends them Moses. Moses comes and God uses him to free the people. And as they leave Egypt, after years of slavery, they travel north, we read. And they travel north into what today is the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. And they gather at the base of Mount Sinai. They make camp there. And Moses then climbs to the top of Mount Sinai. And it's there that he receives from God the Ten Commandments. The beginning of the Torah, the law, that starts forming rather than just saying, well, you're just sort of my people. God starts giving them saying, this is what being my people looks like. You won't steal. You know, all these kind of things that are in there. You'll, you'll, you'll be worshiping God and putting him first. God starts to form them. And then after they leave Mount Sinai, they travel north again. They travel north into uh, the land that we're going to read about today that's described as the land of Canaan, the promised land. This is the first time that they see the promised land in the scriptures. Now, the land of Canaan that we're going to read about, if you look on a map today, it encompasses actually a number of different countries. It encompasses modern-day Israel, but it also encompasses part of modern-day Lebanon, and even some scholars believe it encompasses part of modern-day uh, Jordan. So if you think about that on a map, it's a pretty large area they're talking about when they say Canaan, but there's some part of Canaan that the people get to the border of, and they are looking at, and God says, this is the land. This is the promised land that, that you will inhabit. And rather than just charging into the promised land, and this might sound familiar in our church, they form a committee. And the committee studies how it is it should be done. And the committee then forms another committee. And the other committee is a group of spies that they send into the promised land to sort of check it out and to say, um, uh, how should we do this? How do we go about this, you know, of, of conquering this land? Are inhabiting this land. And the spies come back to the people, to the Hebrew people, the Israelites, with two bits of information. Two things. The first thing they say is, this land is awesome. 
It has fruit. It has vegetation. They describe it as a land that is flowing with milk and honey. The second thing that they say is, but we would have neighbors there. And these neighbors are some pretty bad dudes. They are, they are described as giants, okay? Uh, strong, powerful uh, people of war. And so the question is, we're not certain how these giants are going to react to having new neighbors. So that's the downside of, of potentially this move into Canaan. What we're about to read here is the people of Israel's reaction to the spies, okay? That's what we're going to read from Numbers chapter 14. Now, we're going to bring it up here. I want to say from the beginning, and this service needs to hear this for a lot of different reasons. I haven't said this at the other three services. The translators here translated a word, and we're just going to kind of giggle at it, okay? You'll know the word when it comes up. I think they translated it this way to just sort of you know, create anxiety for pastors that have to read this passage. So when we get to the word, we'll all giggle for a second. You'll know the word when it happens, and then we'll move forward, okay? We're going to be mature about this after about three seconds of immaturity, okay? Numbers chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, What that we, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Okay, let's, we got that out of our system. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, the land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask this day that you would speak to each of us, that we might hear your call and your word, and that we would be a people of courage. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This story is our story. It's all of our story. This is a story of daily life. This is a story that you and I interact with and engage in every single day because it is a story that acknowledges the truth that in life there are giants. There are giants that we have to face. There are giants that we have to overcome. There are giants that cause us fear and worry and uncertainty and anxiety. This is a part of daily living. This is your story. And it's my story. 
The people of Israel see the life they want to live. They see the promised land that God has called them to. They see what we desire for ourselves and for our families. They see the opportunity of peace and prosperity and a home and well-being. They see all of these things that are laid out in front of them. They see the life that they want. They see their goals and dreams and aspirations, the things that they would most want. And as they see them, they also see the very real giants, the very real obstacles that stand in their way of having that life. And we see that that is a part of our life. That is a part of living, is how we face giants. And we see even in this passage, the two responses that you see. See, when you're facing giants, there's not like a third middle way. There's one of two choices that are before you. And both of them are present in this passage. The first choice is what the majority of the Israelites choose and what you and I often choose because we know this story as well. When they look at the giants and they look at the things that they have to try to overcome and their response is to in fear, pull back and just say, I can't do this. We can't do this. This is too big. This is too overwhelming. This can't be what we're about. We need, to, we need to pull back and we need to study it a little bit longer. Let's just study it a bit longer and keep looking at it. And then let's go back to Egypt which is a weird thing at first when you read it, right? It's like, why would you want to go back to Egypt? Because you were slaves there. But it tells us something about human nature. It tells us about choices we make every day. Because one of the things that human beings fear more than just about anything else is the unknown, is uncertainty. And so there is a part of all of us that when we face giants is tempted to move back, not to the perfect life, but at least to the life that's secure, right? Was life in Egypt good? Nope but at least it was predictable. It was secure. It was steady. And many of us, when push comes to shove, the choice that fear causes us to make is to retreat to the known, even if the known isn't that great. Institutions do this. Churches do this. Families do this. Individuals do this. You and I have done this. This is our story. We face giants and we can retreat. But we also see the second choice here, and some of us have lived this out before, right? Where you see the giants that are before you, and rather than retreating in fear and living in fear, you live in courage. You move forward. That's the kind of people we talk about being here at Covenant. That's in our vision statement, encouraging one another to follow Jesus. What does that word mean? Well, it means to stand as a people in courage, not in fear, but in courage. And there's a small minority of the Israelites that is saying, let's not move backwards in fear. Let's not go back to just what's known. Let's move forward in courage to see what God has in store for us in this promised land. This is our story. We face giants every day. I bet if I ask you to stop and think about the giants you are facing right now, you can name some of them very specifically. And your giants are going to look different from anyone else's, but that does not make them less real and it doesn't make them less intimidating. What choice do you usually make? What choice do you usually make? The choice of retreat in fear, which we can justify all the time, right? The people could justify it. They're big people. They're giants. They're warriors. Who are we? In fact, the, the chapter before this in, in number 13 says they made us seem like grasshoppers. I know what that's like, right? Is that your default? Or do you step forward? Encourage. There's not a third choice. 
How do you live? How do you make decisions? How do we? One of the things we try to do here is we try to tell stories of people that are stepping forward in courage. And one of the things that we've worried about this year is that some of the stories we've told have been sort of sensational stories, like these big stories where, where it's like, you know, oh, well, Mother Teresa did this. And the response is like, whoa, that's great. And one of the things we've talked about is like, how do we start telling stories of people living in faith that no one's going to make a documentary film about? or that nobody is going to write a book about, but are no less profound and no less courageous. And as we thought about it this week, this is one of those tempting things to kind of identify these huge giants in our world and these super people that step forward to do it. And those stories are great and they're appropriate. But one of the things I've been reminded about this week is the stories in this community of people who have faced giants and not given in to fear. Because this year, I have seen this community in, way, in very different ways live in courage. I have seen children and young people who are bullied in school, who have been left out of gatherings, of parties, of invitation lists where their friends are going, who have lived with feeling left out, who have lived with feeling ostracized, who have lived with feeling like they're not in the cool kids club, who have lived with the humiliation of that, who have wanted to fade into the background and just disappear off the radar screen, and who have made the choice on Monday morning to get up and to walk into their school with heads held high because they believe that something new can happen. That is standing in courage. That is facing giants and moving ahead. I have seen spouses who have gotten tired of a marriage that feels like it's on autopilot, who have decided that their marriage needs to be about more than just sharing responsibilities and to-do lists and you going here and me driving this carpool and doing all this stuff, but that actually God gave us marriage for joy, for passion, for, for love, and that these things are to um, just move in our hearts and change our lives. And they've gotten tired of just fading into the background and making the choice of fear in those moments of going, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. And instead, I've actually had the courage to step forward and say, you know, what if we're not doing great? What if we need to kind of pursue different rhythms? What if we need to pursue different choices? What do we need to do for our marriage to come alive again? That's the scarier decision. That's stepping into the unknown. And yet it's where we see God take and transform relationships. That's living in courage and stepping forward rather than retreating back. I've seen people in this community who have made the decision to finally get involved in one of those small group things we keep talking about. God, you guys talk about small groups a lot. Seems like you're talking about small groups all the time. You talk about anything other than small groups. Well, sometimes. But I've seen people who have finally given it a try, who have realized that they have a community, that they are surrounded by people all the time, and they're successful at work and in their neighborhoods and in their school boards and on the volunteer committees and everything else, and yet they have people that they do not have people with whom they are truly known and have made the decision to enter into a small group and to actually share what's going on in their life and actually share what is difficult and actually share their burdens and actually share their fears and actually share their temptations that they give into and actually share the stuff that they're ashamed of that they try to um, keep hidden from the images that we cultivate so carefully all the time. And have found that as they step forward in courage, God changed that, that they didn't retreat in fear, which is going, yeah, just pray for the kids. That means nothing. It means nothing. But they step forward going, you want to know how to pray for me? This is how you pray for me. You want to know how to pray for us? This is how you pray for us. And they have found an embrace of grace and love and people who will walk with them. And it's the beginning of their life really starting to move in new directions. That is the journey of courage. 
It's the journey of faith. It's the journey we're called to take. I've seen you face cancer. I've seen you face infertility. I've seen you face all kinds of difficulties of divorce and losing people that you love that leaves a gaping wound and people who have the courage to swing their legs over the bed in the morning and stand up and to see what God might do in a new chapter. We face giants every day. We face them now. And we are called to be a people who push through fear to courage. That should be our default, to live in courage. And it's one of the most profound things we will ever learn is how to make that choice again and again and again. And the key to how we become these kind of people is right here in the text that we read. It's right here in this text that we are to be people who choose courage. Because in the words of Joshua and Caleb, when we face giants as the people of God, we are aware that we do not face them alone. Joshua and Caleb, when they address the people who are freaking out and ready to run back to Egypt, they don't say, oh, the giants aren't that bad. They don't say, oh, I Googled it on the internet and I learned like the techniques of how you fight giants and we're going to be okay. What they say is, we can go into this land because God is with us. We do not need to fear because God is with us. This is the power we celebrate at Christmas that Emmanuel has come, that God is with us. Today is the day of Pentecost where we celebrate in the church the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the Spirit? It means that God is with us. That as we gather here in Austin, Texas in 2017, God isn't off in heaven looking down at your life going, those are some pretty big giants. I'll be honest with you, it's going to be tough. That God is right here involved in your life, involved in our families, involved in our community, involved in our city, and that we can face giants because we are with him. We see the power of that at Pentecost. If you remember that story from the beginning of Acts, these are the first followers of Jesus who are huddled in a room, not certain of what to do or where to go, and and then they're, they're locked in a room in hiding in fear because the same people that killed Jesus are still in power. You want to talk about facing giants? They had giants, political tyrants that they were facing who could kill you in an instant and had killed the one they were following. And yet when the Holy Spirit comes, they move from a people like we see in Numbers 14 where the majority of the Israelites are, the majority of the time where so many of us live, retreating in fear. And by the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, they become people who are changed and they walk out of that room and they begin proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in courage. And the world was changed as a result of it. This is the power of what Caleb and Joshua are talking about. You and I face giants every single day. And the most important thing that we can remember in life when we face them is that we are not alone. That the God who placed the stars in the sky goes before us and is battling on our behalf. And I'm not talking about, do you remember that? I'm saying, do you know it? Do you know it? Because if you do, you live in courage. We even see in this passage how you take those kind of steps of knowing that God's with you. It comes in verse 11, the sort of amazing part where God is just exasperated with the people. He's like, what is wrong with them? Like, what is wrong with them, he says. 
He goes, why do they refuse to believe given everything I have done? It's, it's this amazing verse, verse 11. And it's a key to how we stand in courage, right? It's not just knowing God's with us, but it's about remembering the times that God's shown up when we faced giants before. See, what the people of Israel are doing is that when they face giants like we do, there's this part of them that stops in the moment. It's like, we just can't do this. Because all they see is what's immediate and what's right in front of them. What God's saying is, guys, we've seen this before, right? This isn't the first time we've faced giants. Pharaoh, that was a pretty big uh, giant. Living in slavery in Egypt, that was a pretty big giant. We took care of that. Do you remember when Moses went up Mount Sinai with nothing and came back down with these tablets that have given us direction and a law of being God's people? That was a pretty big giant. We, we took care of that. Why is it that when we come to the land of Canaan, you're going, oh, I just think, don't think we can do it. It's like you think we've never seen this before. One of the things that I try to do in my own life and I encourage others to do is that when we're facing giants, the most important thing that we can do is become good storytellers. To remember the stories of where we faced giants before and how God has brought us through. You need to be surrounded in a small group in a community by people who know your story and can sit there and say, I know it's tough. I know it's scary. I know it's intimidating. You've seen this. You've seen this before. And God has shown up. God hasn't brought you to this point just to drop you now. That presence and that promise lets us stand in courage. In my own life, when I think about this, because I face giants every day, just like you, and fear is a very real part of my life, just like it is for all of us. One of the things that I try to remember that I try to hold on to is the image of standing in courage that was given to me by my daughter, my oldest daughter, Miriam. Miriam just finished sixth grade, and, um, and the image that I carry with me that I think about in my own mind was taking her to her first day of big school when she started pre-K, many years ago. When she started pre-K in where we lived in Atlanta at the time, she had been in a daycare before, and the daycare was a small little daycare that like everyone knew her and everyone loved her, and she knew everyone and loved everyone, and she was only there for a few hours uh, often a day. But when she started in pre-K in the school system we're in, they had uh, in the school system a pre-K program for everybody. It was pretty amazing. It's a really good idea. And so we were in the pre-K program. And while we were starting to, to get her ready for the pre-K program, we do what we do in our marriage, right? In my marriage, which is the day before school, I was like watching football, right? Because that is, that's important. And um, Beth walked in and said, you know, our daughter is starting like her first day of like real school tomorrow. And it's a school that's like 20 times the size of anything she's known before. And I've been doing some research on how we should kind of get ready for tomorrow, and I think we should talk about it. And it was one of those conversations where you're like, yeah, this isn't even like muting the game. This is like a turning the game off conversation that's coming. And then she said, so how do you think, how have you been thinking we should approach this? Have you been doing like any kind of thinking or researching on it? And you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> yes. So much research, it's like in one ear and out the other, and so why don't you share your research with me, and then we'll see if that like matches the research I've been doing. And, uh, and she said, okay, well, uh, two things that I wanna say that I think we should do with Miriam in pre-K tomorrow. First is this, um, you need to take her to school. Okay, you need to be the, the one who does that because this is gonna be emotional for me and she doesn't need to see me being emotional in this. You're like cold and distant and everything else, so. <laughs> 
you're going to be the one to take her from the front door to the pre-K. Got it. Okay, I can do that. My research definitely agrees with that. I'm prepared. <laughs> and then she said, and then secondly, I bought this book that I would like us to read together tonight. Now, some of you may know this book. It's a book called The Kissing Hand. It was a book that she had gotten. And in this book called The Ch Kissing Hand, it's a children's book, there is a mother raccoon and her baby raccoon, whose name is Chester. Chester is going for his first day of school. And as the mother raccoon walks Chester to school for the first day, and they're standing outside the building, the mother raccoon takes Chester's hand in hers. And she opens Chester's hand like this, and the mother raccoon bends down and kisses the palm of Chester's hand. She looks at Chester and says, this is a kissing hand. You can hold on to this kiss. And as you go into school, whenever you feel lonely or whenever you feel scared, you can place that hand upon your cheek and feel my kiss. And you can remember that mommy loves you. Well, I'm reading, best reading this thing to her that night. I'm like, hey, can we be like an inclusive family here? Can mommy and daddy love her when she, when she gets, you know, here's this, and it's the best looking at me. And she's like, yes, mommy and daddy love you. Mommy and daddy love you when you get the kissing. And I'm like, thank you. Um, the next morning, we get Miriam dressed, four-year-old Miriam, and she's in her first backpack, and she's ready for school, and we go to the front door, and Beth says goodbye to her and gives her a hug and then takes Miriam's hand and opens it up and kisses Miriam's hand and says that when you go to your school, whenever you feel scared or whenever you feel lonely, you put this kissing hand to your cheek and you remember that mommy and daddy love you. And with that, we left. And cold, distant Thomas <laughs> drove her to school. We get to the school that day, and I remember walking in, and there's big kids, and there's so many more children she's ever seen, and there's so much activity, and kids are excited for the first day. They're running everywhere. It's noise. There's bells going off in the school, teachers, hallways. And I remember walking in with her, and the one thing I remember Miriam saying is, this is a really big school. And I said something profound like, yeah, it really, really is. And we were walking down the hallway, and what I remember is Miriam at one point looking down, and Miriam, with one hand, was holding my hand, and as we walked into the pre-K room, she's walking in the other hand like this, walking in. And we got to her classroom, and her classroom uh, had a teacher named Ms. Gabriel, who taught both of my girls pre-K, and she's an amazing teacher, but we didn't know that at the time. And Ms. Gabriel had really strict rules. She said the way pre-K works is you have, to, you have to actually take, as parents, and you go to their cubby, which is outside in the hall, and you put their backpacks away and, and everything, but parents can't come in the room because there's too much drama with that. So you say goodbye at the doorway and the child walks in. And as I told Miriam goodbye and gave her a kiss and told her I loved her, she marched into the room doing this, doing this. And it taught me something very, very, very profound about love and the power of love. And it's this. One way to think about that story and the way I had thought about it up until that moment was for Miriam to remember if there's mean or bad people, there's two people in the world who love her and will come pick her up when the day is done. And that's true. But what I also learned about love that day was that for my daughter, love gave her the courage to step forward. Because there was a sense in her that the people who I love say this is okay. The people who I love say that this is good. 
If Miriam on her own had been given a vote about whether to step into that classroom or not, she chose security. She would have chosen to go back home to where things were known and stable and good. But she stepped forward in courage because love empowered her to do that. That's what God is saying to the people in this passage. That's what God is saying to you and I here today when we face giants in our life is that you do not face them alone. And the one who goes before you, the one who loves you, the one who adores you is saying, you can step forward in this because as we have faced giants and overcome them before, you will not face this one alone. Don't live in fear. Don't move backwards. Don't settle for security. Step forward in courage and live. There is no third choice. There is no other way. Friends, as you look at your life today, I don't want to be somebody that says the the giants that you face are not hard, they're not scary, they are real, and they are very frightening, and almost overwhelmingly so at times. What I want to be today is the voice of Caleb, the voice of Joshua that is saying to all of you, you do not face them alone. And that changes everything. You are not alone. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We ask this day, Lord, that you would help us to see and face giants and to stand in courage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.